all kinds of family we chose this one this is episode 327 the fate of the furious lap 13 i'm joey lewandowski i'm joe too and this episode is brought to you by books b-o-o-x.com exceeded by power and productivity the only android e-paper device with ultimate flexibility to power your work and study get productive with books well, shout out to Books and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. With us today, we have a full house, Joe. We've got three guests today. We have today the co-editors of Full Throttle Franchise, an academic book about Fast and Furious published with Bloomsbury Press. With us today, we have Joshua Gullarm, Fraser Elliott, and Sarah Feinstein. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hi, there. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, and thank, thank you, you for guys. Basically taking similar ideas to what we've said in the show and immortalizing it in the written word forever for hopefully academic texts i would love to be like in school and be like this is what i'm going to write my thesis on i'm going to read this book um (laughs) before we talk about anything where who was this one of your idea was this pitched to you like where did this come from how did this start because this is like i know that sometimes like i wrote like a very highfalutin thing about like lost and postmodernism and what jack is like and what Locke is like and it's just like all right you know i just want to talk about lost right but like where does this come from like why does it why does this book exist i think it was because we loved the films didn't we and uh, we were having discussions so we we're all doing our phds at the same time at the same university in manchester and uh i think we had a shared love of action films and uh, these ones just I don't know, were occupying a lot of our time, weren't they? And I think I mentioned it to both of you probably separately, and then we realised that we all shared an interest in it. Love it. And then, yeah, just from there, just thinking why not put together some sort of a book about it rather than just talking about it endlessly, even though that's great as well. So, yeah. I think we also um, share maybe your guys' uh, approach to this in, in that we, both sin- we all sincerely love those films. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. I think that's something we talked a lot about is uh, the kind of sincerity of of the emotion that it it produces and in us and I think it that was also a big um part of wanting to reflect that in a collection of essays too. I have a very so okay so two two things number one we'll talk about the book we'll also talk about you know we have the we have lots to talk about today but I th- I think it's important that like in a handful of these essays the fact is brought up that only it seems like basically only this one woman mary beltran had ever like written about these movies seriously (laughs) and like she's quoted in like half these essays like here's what she wrote like in 2005 and 13 like forever ago right like before the franchise was like a friend right so i like that there is now more official writing on that but my most important question to all three of you do you like these movies more or less now that you've spent probably an unconscionable amount of time thinking about them, writing about them, editing them, compiling them? Because they're you run the risk either way. That's that's a great question. There's sometimes like uh, I always watch these films, always come back to them, and there's times mm-hmm. when I find myself now thinking, "Am I just doing work in my spare time here?" Now, now that it's become. <laughs> Now that it's become something I do for my job as well, so I'm begrudgingly not wanting to give more work over to my <laughs> my employers necessarily. I sometimes I turn away from it, but no, I still enjoy the films as good, much as good, I good, always good. have. And 
like getting to meet people like yourselves, but also sure. the other contributors was so great. Like hearing all these different ways of thinking about the films was brilliant. So I don't know if that's the same for the other guys. Totally. And I mean, I would also maybe throw it back at you two because you're on what you're like 13th or 14th yeah, yeah. watch of the film. So yeah. you probably, you I mean, you have watched them more than us, but it just reminded me, Sarah and I rewatched Fate of the Furious together before today. And I think we both had this about 10 minutes and we were like, hey, these movies are pretty good. <laughs> we, yeah. We'd kind of like forgotten because, you know, like just being in the kind of the depths of the academic side and writing about it. And then you sit down and put them on in 20 minutes and you're like, oh yeah, this is why we were <laughs> this doing is why this. why we did it. These movies rule. Exactly. No, we, I, ha- I have this experience a lot. Like, well, Joey and I, I think both will like watch these movies. And I mean, we've watched them minute by minute for the first two and, you know, mm-hmm. 13 times through talking about them with different guests and like every time like yeah sometimes i still throw it on and i'm like just pleasantly surprised by how much fun a movie can be right like that's the that's the charm of it for me and we were saying today like weirdly so we've changed the release like we started out monthly then it was every two weeks and it was every week and like we figured out different ways to release it or whatever but now we're every three weeks we do one of these movies we do other stuff in between right but because halloween just happened we had a bonus sort of like a, you know we did paul walker's first movie monster in the closet and giving an extra week between Fast and Furious, I'm like, it feels like forever since I've since seen we've watched one of these movies. <laughs> and it was only one extra week. So instead of three weeks between, it was four. But I'm just like, man, I miss I miss the family. But Sarah, what about you? Do you like these movies more or less? Or do you, do you still love them? Or did the book rob you of your joy? No, I definitely love it more. I think that, you know, listening to your guys' podcast um, in the same way of, of reading the the fantastic group of authors that we got to work with, you know, everyone notices something or sees something from an angle that I hadn't thought of. So I think it definitely made me love it more. And it's also just, I think, the nature of, of you know, who I was in 2001 when I saw this in the cinema, right, is not who I am in 2023. So there's also that memory sure. of who I was and what I was interested in when I watched it the first, you know, time. So I definitely think that I've, I've grown to like it a lot more beautiful and i also do want to my other like high level note is that i am so like for for as popular and as successful and as beloved as these as this entire franchise is as you would refer to as the transmedia franchise a word that i not learned but you know read in the book oh i got um, i learned some new words too i cannot believe how many people don't know that spy racers exists or that los bondoleros exists and mm-hmm. the fact that there's an essay on each of those mm-hmm. i'm like this there's there's people out there who like know because like I've said it before, I'll say it again. Los Bondoleros Letty is maybe my favorite Letty. I don't like Spy Racers, but we've spent so much time watching and talking oh about Spy God, Racers. Oh my God, we watched and so much Spy fr- Racers. This is the only other thing I've ever seen anywhere that's like, let's dig into this a little bit. We're like, why? You know, what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. the fact that you care enough to like do it, like, you know, edit an essay about it. Uh, it's donut, is... man. It's donut. donut. The whole time mm. it is donut. Yoka, 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 yoka. What, right? Wait, is it yoka? Yeah, yoka? it is yoka. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The energy drink. Um, okay. So I want to talk about the book more later, but at first I want to get a little bit of uh, credentials from the three of you. So we'll start with Josh. Mm-hmm. Josh, what was the first? Did you see the first? Because, I mean, Sarah already has more street cred than I do that she saw the first one in theaters like that's i yeah. i don't have that but josh what was the first movie you saw did you see which is the first one you saw in theaters if it wasn't the first one and then please hit us with your rankings just you know a history of your mo- your franchise how you see this and your rankings please right. this is where it gets serious doesn't it so um mm-hmm. 
I think the first one I watched was on DVD. It was Too Fast, Too Furious with my brother. And um, he he's a bit older than me, so he'd been to see it in the cinema. And he was obsessed. He, the funny thing is, I'm not really into driving or anything like that, but my brother really is. He, <laughs> he loves driving. You know, he, he he works a job where he has to do a lot of high-speed driving. Um, it's a legal job. He's, he's a police officer. So... Um, <laughs> um, but he was obsessed with these, and then mm. and then I found we bonded over them. So I think that was the first one I watched, and then I I just really got into them. We watched them regularly. Um, Sweet, yeah, and then not looked back since, really. I suppose. Um, in terms of my rankings, now I've been going back and forth on this. It's, it's so hard. hard. It's yeah. so hard. Yeah, because do your rankings change a lot? I don't, yes, not yeah, not a lot, but they do change. Like Joe is refused, so Joe won't give me official <laughs> rankings except for every five laps. Um, I think you now- need five watch-throughs to get an appropriate re-ranking, and I also like the time that it takes for me to forget my previous ranking, so I'm not influenced as we go per lap. And as the as the franchise has gotten bigger, and we've sort of spaced out the episodes, like a lap used to be like four months long, and now a lap's like nine months long. <laughs> so like Joe is really four years between real rankings now. So it's like it's truly insane. Um, but we do, you know, every once in a while, like I, I think, like when a new movie comes out, we've seen it a couple times. I'll sort of kind of re-rank Slot a little it in. bit, yeah. But like they're mostly kind of locked, but a couple slide up and down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the the big question to you, you can either go top down or bottom up. But the other question is, are you ranking Hobbs and Shaw? Because I think as scholars, you're probably inclined to include it. But a recent guests we've had are like, not a Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, I fully understand that, but I, I have ranked it. And I've, well, I'll go from top, I'll go from top to bottom when you can okay. see. Okay. So I went number five was, was my first. Um, oh, also, I want to say, you guys are based in the UK. You're simplification in the movie titles is honestly disrespectful i think like the, the fast and the furious one two three four five six seven eight like i understand oh, yeah. it don't like it one of our english friends <laughs> sent us like this uh what was it like a zine or something mm-hmm. right uh at one point we were reading it, we were like what the hell are they talking about like, that they don't the have fast and furious five we're like what is that movie <laughs> yeah Wow, you so gotta lean into the insanity but you you can you can refer to them however you want to refer to them i just want you to know on record i don't like it Okay, that that's fine. So, uh, <laughs> Fast Five was number one for me. Mm-hmm. Then, okay. um, almost a dead heat, but then I'm going uh, the Fast and the Furious number two. Okay, um, two is very high. Okay, is I just that that's a time capsule film for me. Yeah, I'm you said you watch it with your brother. The nostalgia. No, no, no. Yeah. no he's saying that he's saying the OG is number two. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. So, okay. Oh, sorry. Was that was. Yeah, no, no, so no, I understand. You said number Joe, two. I thought Joe's, you... Joe's brain is broken. Yes, don't, yeah, don't and I thought you were remaining too fast. It's okay. Yeah. Then I'm going Tokyo Drift. Um, okay. Absolutely love it. It's on TV. It seems every week here in the UK. It's on uh, one of our channels. Then I'm going Furious 7, Fast and Furious 6. Okay. Too Fast, Too Furious, Fate of the Furious. Okay. Fast Four, as we've called it in the book, or, or Fast and Furious, then F9, then F10, and then right at the bottom, Hobson Shaw, which okay. is more okay. of a personal grievance with that and, and the beef that it caused, I think. so. Yeah, so. Well, that, that's another thing that you know Joe and I were talking about, that because it's a book and because it takes probably years to like get through editing and publishing and everything, like it's sort of frozen in amber right around the release of F9. So I guess you don't really have that distaste for fast 10. Like there's the whole, 
where the franchise, it seems like you're not really crazy about where the franchise has gone. And so it kind of, in a way, is better for you that it captures like the stuff that you like more, which I guess, you know, works. There's an innocence. Your benefit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, Sarah, you said you saw the first one in theaters. Have you seen all of them in theaters? What's your history with these? And please hit us with your rankings. No, I think actually there, there are a number of them that I didn't see in the theater. Like, I don't think I saw four in the theater. And I don't know that I saw six. Um, okay. But the rest I definitely did. Um, and... I think actually the 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 thing that drew me to it, well, the first thing that should have drawn me to it is I'm from Detroit, right? So okay. cars, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I think it was actually uh, Pitch Black. So I had seen Vin Diesel in okay. that. And then I had gotten, I loved that movie um, so much. I thought, oh, this looks like Point Break. I'll go see it because um, he's in it. Of course. Um, I think actually for... Uh, for me, my um, number one would be seven, but I think that has a lot to do with the emotional um, kind of uh, significance yeah. and intensity of it. Um, and then I kind of have a, a tie of Tokyo Drift and five. So I think that five is probably out of all of the the films, like probably technically, narratively, mm-hmm. you Agreed. know, the best. Um, but um, as as we said, there's something about the uh, Tokyo Drift. Probably, I think it has sort of the most interesting precision driving, you know. And I think that um, just from like the the choreography of races and and stunts, um, that one kind of stands stands out. There there is one essay in this book that describe in terms of like the choreography like that describes drifting in a way that's like more detailed and more defined than the movie does and I'm just like oh that's what it is okay yeah. it's like hard breaking into the turns I'm just like oh okay thank you and then I'd go with the um, original and then actually it's eight because I think that that there's fantastic set pieces and I, I probably you know like. I have to say the zombie cars and mm-hmm. the um, oh, scene yeah. with the um, giant bank vault are probably two of the great, greatest moments of action cinema for me. Um, and then I really like Ted. Um, okay. We like so, Ted. We I'm like Jason kidding. Momoa. We really like Ted. I thought it was, you know, it was. Uh, and then I actually, I, I, I liked Hobson Shaw. Um, I thought it was fun. We always pitch it. I pitch it as one of the most fun Fast and the... It's just, like, just fun. We're, we're on video, and Sarah looked, like, chagrined as she said that. Like, I'm going to get in trouble for saying nope. this, but I like that movie. Nope. Well, I'm going to get in trouble with, I think, Josh with the um, film I like least. Um, so then I guess it goes four, six, nine, and the one I like least was Too Fast, Too Furious. Mm-hmm. The second one, Too Fast, sits very, very low in the rankings for a lot of people. I will say that, you know, we, we've not had that many rankings. We've had about a dozen rankings since 10 came out. So since there's been a possibility of having a movie be in, in 11th place, then you are the first person to rank too fast 11th. So you broke new ground on the podcast. Nice. So congratulations. I don't know if, if that's an award I want to. I don't know either. But, you know, it, that like Joe's saying, like that's definitely one of the consensus least. I mean, how do you rank 11 perfect films, right? Exactly. But, you know. <laughs> And Fraser, what about you? What was the first one you saw? Did you see them in theaters? Where did you see it? And then please, your rankings as well. 
Yeah, I feel like we're learning a lot about each other, despite going oh, through definitely. this editorial process. Josh, some of these rankings, Josh, we need to take it outside <laughs> with a couple of wrenches. And uh, no, um, yeah, so I, I'm a bit of a latecomer, a late bloomer with Fast and Furious. I, I think I saw Tokyo Drift on the DVD at some point around the early or the mid 2000s pre 2010 but i don't i can't say that for sure but i have a memory of joking about it and mocking it <laughs> unnecessarily it's where a lot of people start it's okay yeah a lot of regret as as i've matured into adulthood um, can you imagine you watching that movie knowing in like 15 years you'd be editing a book about the <laughs> franchise i think about this all the time i'm always yeah watching those dvd menus of all the different colored cars driving around and thinking you know in one day one day <laughs> Um, but the film that got me really into it was um, Six. I remember seeing a trailer for that and just going like, this franchise doesn't seem to be what I thought it was. And then mm. going to see it and just thinking it was the best thing I'd ever seen. And it, especially as it just keep, goes and goes to the, the plane sequence at the end. It was just sort of like, okay, I, I need to revisit this franchise. And then actually Sarah and I watched them all. We had like a two week kind of session where we just bought loads of snacks and watched the whole thing um, and found ourselves... I remember the moment I think for me was when at the end of seven, when we looked at each other and we were both crying. And oh, yes, of, of course. Like, oh, yeah, we're actually crying, aren't we? It was and that was kind of the, the moment. So um, that's my history with the franchise. And I think my rankings quite similar in some ways to everyone else. I'm going to start at the bottom. Uh, my bottom is Fast and Furious. So the fourth one. Okay. Um, I think it's like when they were starting to figure out where it was going, but it's pretty boring and it's just 90% tunnels, um, which is, well, in my memory anyway, a lot of CGI when was the, When was the last time you watched 4? Because this is one that the more we watch it, the more we enjoy it. Ooh, okay. It's been about maybe a year or two years since I've watched 4. So Just let maybe. it sneak in, you know, when it's when it's playing on television. When you see it, just give it another shot and you might like, especially now you, you know, you did the book, everything like that with some new eyes, it really might help. Because when when we did our very first rankings, I think we did rankings before we even started, like we were like in the very first lap before we started and I had four dead last in mine and it's, that's one that's drifted way up for me. Oh, where yeah, is it? The one for Joe, and then for me, it's been—it's the one that we're talking about tonight. Where eight, I'm just like, I don't like this. I don't think it works. And like every time I watch it, like it, it's a little bit. Yeah, like, it's still like middle for me, but it's yeah. like there's I I like more about it than like that's definitely shifted the most of all of them. Same, yeah. I think that, that me too. Um, one that hasn't really shifted since I saw it is F9, which I've put next. Okay. Uh, okay. Despite it being filmed like 20 meters from my house in Edinburgh, it uh, doesn't make the cut. Um. Then I've put Hobbs and Shaw and Spy Races. Is that allowed? Yeah, you absolutely can. Because uh, I was just thinking sort of semi-spit comedic spin-offs that are fine enough <laughs> um, in different ways. So I've put those there. Then I've got Too Fast, Too Furious. Okay. Um, then I've got Fate of the Furious for the same reasons. First time I saw it, I was pretty not into it. I thought the comedy was kind of out, out of step for the series, but it's grown on me every time I've watched it. Uh, then Fast X, because I actually really liked Fast X. I thought it was. A lot I really of fun. like it. But as we're saying, all perfect movies. So um, mm -hmm. not that you weren't saying that you liked it, Josh. <laughs> then I've got six, uh, great movie. Then Tokyo Drift. So it's gone up in my estimations. You know, as we talk about in the book, key key moment in the franchise. Then The Fast and the Furious, the first yeah. film. 
So that's number three from third from the top. And then I think fast five next. I think as everyone says, sort of technically, objectively, whatever, the best. But I've got seven in the top place as well, just for the emotional gut punch of yeah. of the last sort of twenty minutes and you know, flying cars and everything else going on in that movie. You gotta love it. Yeah, you so I should not have been surprised. Like it's amazing to me, like as because I as I'm listening, I'm typing in the numbers into our spreadsheet. Um, and it's amazing to me how many people like forget a movie or like misnumber a thing, but I shouldn't have doubted like all three of you as literate scholars would not mess up the <laughs> rankings. But it's also, you know, it's you know, surprising Sarah and Fraser, you guys have very similar rankings. Josh is a little bit of a wild card. He's a little bit out there, but you know, not that he's wrong, not that they're right, whatever. Nobody's right, nobody's wrong. I can definitely see why you two maybe watch the movies together and Josh, you know, doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe maybe I overthought it because I had I had a ranking a few years ago, and then I feel like doing it for this, um, I've I've moved things up and down. Maybe maybe I overthought it, and I I to... can't even settle. I have to eventually just put my like I like just have to close the paper and be like that's what I'm going with because like I'll tinker too much. It's terrible. Yeah. And originally I did have Los Bandoleros in in there. Um, around about halfway, because, uh, yeah, I think, like you said, it's the best version of Letty. It's the best version mm-hmm. of Letty and Dom. And when we left the... Because we all went to go and see Fast X at the same time, didn't we? And everyone... We went with a bunch of people who weren't necessarily the biggest fans of the, of the films, and, and they were saying Vin Diesel didn't have any chemistry with um, with Letty or with mm-hmm. anyone, in fact. So it's a bit of slander. And, and <laughs> I, just, I just felt like Las Bandoleros is just... Um, the chemistry yeah. is there. It's yeah, still- seriously. I will say, though, as, as much as I want to defend, and I think Joe is with me in this, as much as I want to defend everything about this, the turbocharged prelude, which I noticed was not mentioned, I don't think, in this entire book. No, I think is... there was. There there was, like, a mention that it's, oh, okay, like, the okay. transition between... Yeah. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, Not great. Not not great. But, you know. It's, but it's a uh, three-minute it music video that... Yeah. We talked about it before. Yeah. Um, we do have some other questions. I'm going to skip today to make sure we get to the conversation itself. But I do want, I'm curious, do each of you have, it doesn't have to be in this movie, a favorite character in the franchise? Could be in in one movie or every movie. Is there a favorite character that you each have for the franchise? I'll go first, I guess, because uh, when we when you put the choice of films to us, um, I was obsessed with Cypher uh, for some reason. Not necessarily because I think she's the best character. I find her the most continually fascinating character i've watched this mm-hmm. film so many times and, and yeah i think she really sticks out to me as as just yeah just just an out there character uh, i yeah. love all the monologuing i guess we'll get into that it's so, that's so, so you... strange that you that you like cypher so much and then like the nine and ten where she's like becoming or stays as prominent as she is like is so much lower for you it, yeah. it feels weird a question we don't ask anymore, but I do want because you mentioned her, and I don't think anybody's ever said their favorite character is Cypher. I mean, I've done a whole podcast about Charlie Theron, so I've seen everything she's done. So like, I have strong thoughts. You know, I love almost all of her movies. You know, the ones that she's not, you know, overly sexualized and like, you know, the woman in Hollywood thing. But do you have a preference between Fate and F nine Cypher hair? Do you like what we call the dreads or the Karen cut? Because the 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 Fast Ten, they're like, let's actually style her and make her look beautiful and badass and like cool and like finally gets her due, but two objectively terrible haircuts in these movies. Do you have a preference between those two haircuts? I think you're between a rock and a hard place here, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to go for Fast 8. That, the, okay, okay. Doris, that was the one where I was just like, they, yeah, they're going with that hair. <laughs> From Fair. there, not, no amount of hair or different types of hair would surprise me, I think. Yeah. Sarah, do you have a favorite character in the franchise? 
I do. I also recently saw Gone in 60 Seconds. And yeah. um, what I noticed, right, was the hairdos, mm -hmm. right, of um, Angelina, Angelina Jolie, who um, I think you've written about also, Josh. I was shocked because I kind of forgot that she had the dress. And I was like, pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, my I think my favorite character um, would probably be Luddy. Um, and I think that that she's interesting from a number of perspectives. One, um, you know, if you look at kind of what roles women were cast in in action films at the time of, um, you know, the first film, she's remarkably um, different, right? Um, For sure. Kind of sidekick um, and uh, a representation of a woman. And I think that probably there's a, I think maybe one of the things with the film is that there's a bit of a crossover, right, between who these characters are and who the actors who portray them is. So part of it is I think Michelle Rodriguez is such an interesting actor. And I think her role in kind of advocating for maybe challenging even some of the, we could say more um, interesting representations of women in action films you know, I kind of attribute that luddiness, uh, you know, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm, yeah. kind of crossover there. So I say it's definitely her. One of the things I always wonder about is whatever happened to Leon, but um, I wouldn't say he's um, one of my favorite characters, but he's certainly the one I'm the most curious about what happened to. We love Leon. We want Suki back really bad. I, I mean, she's I always say Leon, money. Leon's in jail, though, just somewhere, just in jail for some like shoplifting or something. Little, Who little knows? Crimes. Yeah. Surely you got to break him out at this point, now, haven't you? you got to break him out of prison. Uh, maybe they've done it I before. Mean, maybe, maybe he's more of harm to himself outside than he is inside, and it's safer for him to be inside. Fraser, favorite character in the franchise? That's too hard. It's too hard. I, um, I, I have to give an honorary shout out um, for Rafaela in Spy Races. Um, we Ooh. were big fans with the three of us. She's that, great. And she was fantastic. So all the listeners out there that have been avoiding Spy Races do maybe watch like a Rafaela supercut um, if possible. Do, do you think that exists? Hold on. Let me see if that, that might not exist. That, that's like, you know. Well, we'll, we'll get on it after this episode. Um, I, I'm very cautious saying this, but I actually... I'm a, I'm a big Hobbs guy. Okay. Um, at least in the kind of the, the first few Hobbs appearances, I think just that some of the lines, the line delivery, the kind of the the big man energy brought to the franchise that kind of, the, the, the WWE energy um yeah. that changed so much the franchise. I think um yeah, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a Hobbs guy in the context of those two films <laughs> in sort of five and six. Um, and daddy's got to go to work at the end of seven, you know, of course. flex, flex enough the cast. Um, love it. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. So let's dive into, and I'll talk more about a little bit about the book later. Um, but let's talk about fate of the furious. Now, favorite moments, least favorite moments. I know that, I don't know if you collectively decided on this one. I don't remember how many had been like sort of assigned or a lot by the time I, you know, found your book, but what about this movie? You know, we we have your rankings, but what do you, what about this movie? Do you love? Why did you choose this one? Is it just a more interesting one to talk about? Any any of you want to jump in first? Because we've talked about it a bunch. I still have new thoughts about it too. But curious, what led you, the three of you, to sort of collectively decide to talk about this one? I think I may have inflicted it on, uh, on Sarah <laughs> and So this is one that I I really really enjoyed. And then I, weirdly, I think as you've watched it more, it's probably gone up in your estimation. Mm -hmm. As I've watched it more, 
maybe because I had it so high, it's gone mm. a bit further down. So, but for me, the opening sequence of this, the pre-title sequence, is so ludicrously fast and furious. It's just brilliant. Um, it's a return to you know the street racing, the idea of destroying the car in order to save the car is it's just brilliant. I, I think that's one of my favorite sequences in the whole franchise. When we were rewatching it this time, that um that whole French sequence revolves around Dom's cousin. Yes. Who is mentioned any at any other point in the French? He comes he comes back. He comes back in this movie, but also like in this movie, they're like Hobbs is like, Where's your where's my daughter? And Miss Shinobi goes, With your sister. We're like, hold on, wait, where's this who's the sister? It's just like there's family. There's always family. There's always more family. There's always family for the spin-offs down the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The opening sequences, because um, we teach as well at a university, so I, I tend to show that uh, as an example of looking at narrative and character in action films. And a lot of the times my students are just like, I don't get it, I don't get it. And then I feel like I'm trying to convert them into how incredible <laughs> it is. And I think, we all are. You, we all are, yeah, Josh. Don't worry. Yeah, it's, it's, this scene is almost like, it feels like the Dom mythology just completely unrestricted completely let loose and and that whole thing about cuban spirit oh it's it's brilliant i love it so i remember when the movie came out and i remember checking like i try not i try to like avoid reviews and spoilers and everything like that but i remember and this is before the podcast started but i remember being like oh it has like a 40 and rotten like people did not like it and i remember watching the opening scene i'm just like they're crazy this movie rules and then like you know the plot unfolds i'm like oh i get it now but like the first i'm like when's it get bad? Because this is so good. Yeah. And then I'm like, what are they, are they just tired of these? Because I didn't read the reviews, I just like saw the number and I'm like, oh, I get it now. But you're sitting here like, oh no, this is so good. When we were watching it, we were really struck by that because there are a lot of things, you know, Josh, that you've actually mentioned in the, in conversations we've uh, had um, both while we were doing the book and after sort of about the kind of, and it'd be really interesting um, to hear your opinion about this, about kind of the, American idea of kind of, you know, the, the, what's, what's the, so the kind of noble working man, right? And I think that there's, you know, as, as, you know, you've talked about in your podcast, and we talk on the, about in the book, there's this change from being street racers to international anti-terrorism heist makers. And I think that opening sequence kind of goes back to that kind of, you know, embodied knowledge, right? And he's, you know, fixing the engine with a, you know, the tab from a, a soda can and that kind of ingenuity um, and a kind of uh, physical intelligence, right? Um, that I think does a, does a, a good job, but maybe um, Fraser and I were talking about this is the way it sort of sets up things in a, in a kind of narrative way in the film is, is quite, um, I forgot how smart that was. And I think that kind of sort of sets the the scene with that. And then it's just that scene of his car being on fire and driving in reverse, you know, along. <laughs> it's just too like, Yeah. Um, but I think it definitely, for me, the 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 scene that 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 blew me away was actually that zombie car thing. And we were talking about kind of that, you know, there's an overriding theme, right, of this kind of fear and and maybe um of technology that once they kind of go away from the kind of street racing that's kind of an undercurrent but that kind of seems to have tapped into something that everyone was afraid of with the you know 
um, driverless cars. Um, and it's such a clever device that you can't kind of believe no one's thought of it um, uh, before. And it's like so that- their anti-hero. Their anti-hero is a self-driving car. So like, yeah, it, it, like what, what could be worse to Dom Toretto? And it's a car that he can't drive. Excellent point. Excellent point. We've had a couple different ways of breaking down the franchise into like different eras, you know, whether there's the cars and the action movies or like the different like directors or whatever, right? But this definitely seems to signify like God's eye into this is like we're in the tech era now. And so it seems like you're okay with that. Like you're not one because like I know that there's a lot of people just like I don't want this. I want more cars than just computers and stuff like that. But it seems like that's an interesting path for that you want to see them explore further. And I also think that what Sarah was saying about the like the the honorable working man plays into this too. I don't know how much the general fan base would respect like the Dom Toretto character if he came in as a spy. But mm. the fact that we like are he's so relatable that he starts as a mechanic and can be an everyman, I think is part of the reason why people stick around so long and and the gradual transition plays really well for them in this franchise that like they can make him a superhero now that's totally fine because we are like oh he's the car mechanic and like if he just came in as a superhero like if they tried to reboot this if they tried to boot the franchise from eight i don't think this would hit as well as like an alternative to a 007 movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like the idea that we we grow with them, as you say, like, you know, you're 20 years different from when we started this and you are 20 years different, like as the audience is like, makes that very, very approachable and acceptable to the fan base. I was thinking when watching the zombie car sequence and you know, the moment where Dom comes out and he's been turned by Cypher and he comes out with this sort of, black hockey mask and, and all the body armor. He's the complete antithesis, isn't he, of, of everything that he's been before. He's he's no longer just in his work shirt or his work vest. Now he's got he's he's become robot, hasn't he? And then and that signifies that change. So yeah, I think that move towards tech and looking at how they deal with that against the backdrop of them being, you know, people who work with their hands, their manual laborers at the start of the film, aren't they? Yeah, well yeah. a lot of them are anyway. And looking at how those two things like clash in this film is really interesting, I think. I do think, and it's it's not at all that topic, but in terms of the Dom turning evil, what I don't think I ever really appreciated until this time is that like the proof he needs to to know that Cypher like knows everything about him is that she knows his coffee order and she's like, you know, go down the street and get the coffee with black. It's just like she could have followed you like this morning. Like that's not that's not proof of yeah, anything. Yeah. She's like, he's like, oh my god, she knows everything about. Me. Like it's the simplest. Like I know eventually, like late, but like that's even before she shows the picture of like we don't know if it's baby B or whatever, right? But like she's like, I know your coffee order. He's like, oh my god, this. What else does she know? Life. It's like, come on, man. We talked about that when we watched it this time, where she says like it took a lot of work to get you here today, dumb. And it's like when you've just parked a car on a street <laughs> next to him and you've orchestrated this, you've closed his favorite restaurants, you've made him do some kind of circuitous route around Havana to get there. But it's like, why didn't you just park outside his flat, like his apartment? Um, and like also, he it's the classic thing of he's just been to buy a, a baguette and a single rose. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's like, did you did, did was that part of your plan, Cipher? It's the the and, weirdest. And also, the thing is like she's one of the most beautiful women on the world next to a broken down car, his favorite thing in the world, right? It's just like, of course. Of a completely like, different ethnicity difficult. that yeah. you don't see in this mm-hmm. place that she mm-hmm. is in and nobody <laughs> notices her. 
the shopping bag as well really struck me this time because I don't I don't know about if this was like like it with you, but I remember you reminded me of my dad on holiday when when he came around with with the baguette. Like my dad never wanted to do any shopping when we're at home, but when he went out on holiday, he'd, he'd love doing the shopping. And then when he turns around the corner, he's got his little shopping bag. <laughs> reminded me of my dad. You're right. I don't think that Dom Toretto's ever stepped foot in a grocery store. Right? Not not <laughs> once. Toretto's Market Cafe. Right? Like that's the mm-hmm. only one. Yeah. And he doesn't even. Maybe he places the. I think Mia, Mia probably still places the orders there too. I think so. Yeah. There, yes. there is actually a shot in the in in eight from just b- before that during the opening montage, and there seems to be another bag with a baguette in it being like um, pulled up the side of a building. <laughs> it's just in it for a second, but there seems to be some. The producers of the film were clearly like, "What sig- what signifies that Cuban spirit? It's it's baguettes. baguette in a tote bag." <laughs> What I also just realized in terms of that is like, I don't think Vin Diesel, the actor, Dominic Toretto, the man, is the one to eat carbs at all. No, no, he's a, t- come on, he has, he, what, he's half Italian, half Cuban, even by his own. But I mean, like, we never see, so, you know, we, we talk about how they we never see them, like, baguettes. getting gasoline or whatever, like, but yeah. we also never see them, other than Hobbs and Shaw, we never see them working out, like, we don't see Dom working out, and he's still, like, he gets more, more shredded, like, it's like he gets in better shape by driving more, right? So yeah. I don't know. But it seems like he can't eat baguette and look the way he does. But you No, know, he eats a lot of sandwiches. That's a guy that eats many, many sandwiches, Joey. Yeah, such, the sandwiches are so crappy. No, they're good. They're really good ones. At home, they're the good movie. ones. Yeah. Tuna sandwiches, surely. How about you, Fraser? What was your favorite scene from the... I, I mean, the prison escape. And not just going back to it's sort of the hubs, but that, that we would just the rhythm, the editing, the, you know, as, in terms of like the action movie genre, America has maybe not had the best couple of decades compared to sort of India and other parts of the world. But that scene like totally, totally rules. It's, it's, I think I remember it was interesting talking about how we first felt about this film versus now. And I remember when I first watched it, I was also a bit lukewarm on it, even though actually it's the first film that we all saw together at the cinema, the first Fast and Furious film. Uh, And part of it was the kind of, it doesn't really know what to do with Hobbs and Shaw. It's trying to make them more personalities, but they're kind of comedy. The vibe doesn't really fit. Like the baby in the plane at the end is sort of like from a different movie. Um, There's just some strangeness going on there. But that scene brings it all together their personalities they're so funny the line delivery they beat your ass like a cherokee drum um just the, the for some reason when you know shaw breaks his lock just the whole prison unlocks every door which <laughs> is like a terrible design for a black site air prison um and it's just such a good such a good action scene i mean like the rock does a slide off the balcony and bounce bounces off a wall and, you know, he's trying not to attack the police, but just trying to attack the prisoners, but then some police shooting with the rubber bullets. So then he's just goes on everyone. I, I love that scene an awful lot. And I think the other thing that I really loved watching it this time was just this is maybe the film where they went buck wild on the terrible one liners from mm, Cypher mm-hmm. and everything. And there's the, the one line that I remember but seeing it again, where Cypher says, why live your life? a quarter mile at a time when you could live your whole life that way, oh. which every time it happens, something just breaks in my brain. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. Cypher. <laughs> um, why live your life when you could live your life? Um, yeah. Do you guys personally enjoy how, how they've embraced like the corniness and like the self-reflection? Like 
I, like, you know, you guys talk about it in the book, but like now that you brought up like the cheesy one liners and stuff like that, going to space, all of these kind of things. Do, do you personally enjoy that as a fan of the franchise or would you like them to go a different direction, any other direction? I think that was my favorite bit in Fast 10, you know, where the new agent, the sort of new nobody guy, and he's, and he's giving the breakdown of... Um, of the team's history, yeah. Yes, when he's in the room, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that was my favourite bit. So uh, that sort of stuff definitely hits hits with me. But I can understand why, if you're arriving at this franchise late, it all feels a bit corny. It all feels a bit cheesy. But yeah, I, I love that sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the bits that don't work for me are the are the, the references to other things like um, Star Wars, the Star Wars jokes, mm-hmm. and this Game of Thrones. Thing. Game of Thrones, like that stuff. It's sort of like I don't, I don't need Fast and Furious to exist in the same world as Star Wars. I don't know why. It's just it, it's it brings the franchise into a space that I'm not used to it being in. I don't know. I can't really articulate it, but I don't mind the self-referential stuff at all. It's for some reason it's the other pop culture references. Yeah, I think that there's always. I mean. Well, I think it's interesting if you look at like the first film, it wasn't it. I mean, I think there was humor in it, but it was primarily right. Not. Yeah. Uh, you know, but the second one, so much of that was in there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think like, you know, a lot of the the films, maybe when they're more. I think eight's interesting because it it it. As much as it tries to kind of set up these, connect, you know, connecting pieces and kind of give a reason why they end up, you know, on a submarine coming through an ice shelf, right? They also kind of tonally keep are a bit kind of all over the place. So I think maybe, and I guess Hobbs and Shaw is like the exact opposite of, of that, right? Because it's sort of more of comedy action film mm-hmm, than it is mm-hmm. anything else. But yeah, I actually, I quite like, I quite like the corniness um, of it. But I'm I'm never gonna get over that um, cipher line either, and the whole thing about the crocodile. I'm just like, this actually makes no sense. Like, you know, I'm I'm down with it being funny. I'm down with corny one-liners, but this business, no. You know, there's there's something that I I picked up on this time that you that we have talked about for sure on this on the show before, and you also cover in the book about how this was kind of like a way to see if like a Hobbs and Shaw movie could work, right? It's just like, let's see if they sort of spin them off within this movie and see if they have the chemistry. It also felt like to me, and they don't have nearly have the star power, but it feels like the movie is also like, especially at least maybe just in the extended, like the two and a half hours, as opposed to the two fifteen or whatever, it feels like they're doing the same thing with Roman and Little Nobody. And it's like, could they do their own thing? And everybody's just like, we don't want that. But like, it does feel like they're more commonly paired up than like, like, and more frequently featured in the same kind of like one-liners busting each other's balls a little bit. Like, it, I'm like, because knowing, again, having the, the, you know, from the book, just having that fresh in my mind about they're using this as a platform to launch maybe a spin-off franchise or whatever. I'm like, are they doing it here or they just don't have anything else for these characters to do? So like, we'll just have Roman annoy. I just like I was like I I was I confused I almost confused myself by like they aren't really actually trying to do this but maybe they I don't know. It felt to me yeah I picked up on that a little bit and it felt to me watching it this time they were setting up little nobody to take the place of of Mister Nobody obviously he takes mm-hmm. the place within this film but I assume because of what happened with Kurt Russell that they had 
plans to do it. I actually think it works pretty well in this film, the little nobody back and forth with Roman. Um, and again, he captures, he goes on a little journey, doesn't he, of, of being very much the agency man who does everything the right way. He's all about rules and then he has to change and become more like them and he begins dressing like them at the end. And what I was surprised, actually, in the subsequent films after this was why they didn't bring him back more, I thought. Because I, I quite like him as a character in this. I think I think the comedy between them, as you say, in busting his balls, making fun of him being very much the agency man, it, it made me laugh, I think. But, um, it feels like they don't know what they're doing with the agency. Like, Joe, do you want to share your theory about, like, the your grand idea of what Mr. Nobody's all about? Because, like, it feels like... At one point, they were heading toward this, like, almost, or maybe just because we talked about it so much, it felt like a seeming inevitability, and now it's just like, maybe not, but... I had a theory that um, Mr. Nobody is actually the big bad, and maybe that they've been working for him and doing uh, jobs for him that are actually not for the good of humanity, and because, like, he disappears in Nine, right? They're like, what's happening? I thought that Brie Larson... Like, even when she was like, that's my dad, maybe that he's still the bad guy and she's, like, on the good side or, like, the agency's bad. I don't know. I've been trying to work it out, especially after, like, reconciling with what happens in 10. But for a while there, I was like, like, Etion is actually just part of, like, uh, he's he's the head. And then, like, Etion is just, like, his umbrella corporation that he's running. So and then they, they each movie that comes out like they don't have Kurt Russell come back. And we're like, what are they doing? Like, why are you what are you waiting on? And so it, it's just, I don't know. It's strange. Some so I have I have a very it's a it's you know, it's a it's a lap 13 question. Whereas like but I don't think we've ever talked about this before. So I understand that this is in here for the Ramsey is a 10 joke. Like she has a perfect body, whatever. But when they say you all made the top 10, Hobbs is six, Letty is eight. Tej is nine, Ramsey's ten, Roman's eleven. I never thought about it, but I don't think those rankings make any sense. Like Ramsey, I think, should be the highest because she is a globally known hacker. Who invented God's eye, yeah. Hobbes feels like kind of like a wild card because like he used to be like a high-ranking government guy, you know, military guy, whatever, who turned evil. Letty Tej Roman all kind of make sense together, but like Ram I know again, I know it's for a joke, but like Ramsey should be way higher, right? We had a, we had the exact same uh, conversation when we saw Sarah and I when we watched when we rewatched it this time specifically yeah if you compare like some street racers who have done some crime to somebody who is a a, a cyber terrorist who is threatening every mm-hmm, sort of international mm-hmm, yeah. government through uh, satellite technology hacking and, and sort of cyber surveillance it is absolutely ludicrous as it were no pun intended that the the rest of the guys would be higher than her right yeah yeah she she invents god's eye doesn't she she's yeah. the inventor. yeah, yeah so, and this is the thing that they're all obsessed with so yeah it would make sense but she cannot drive no well i mean she eventually can she eventually learns but at this moment that's why she's 10 she cannot drive it makes me wonder who like one through five and seven are. You have to think that one of them is probably Dom. One of them might be Cipher, but like Brian's not in Germany. Like he's a, he's a known associate, but like he's not there. I, you know, it's it's the weird kind of like who knows. I know it's there for a joke, but I'm just like, I gotta know why is she? Yeah, who are we leaving off this list and who are we? Seriously, ca- that's yeah, yeah. 
I also do want to say, like, this is the lab we we discovered. I don't know if any of you know on IMDb, there's a feature called Crazy Credits, Ooh. which originated because, like, in movies like Airplane, they did, like, silly, wacky things. Like, they credit people and whatever. And it's like, it used to be a way to catalog and preserve and immortalize those things. And then it became just people describing what's in the credits. And it's weird and boring and always disappointing. But there's no crazy credits for this movie. There is zero for Fate of the Furious. So zero. nothing about these credits. Go make the first enough. one. Somebody listening out there, go make the first, go crazy, the first crazy credit. credit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'll have to go back because I, when we were writing the book, um, I remember I saw credits. I think in, I'm positive it's for Tokyo Drift. And there were some of the most absolutely ridiculous descriptors for... Um, oh, you know, my exceedingly characters. handsome guy. Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly my favorite it. character in the entire franchise. And you know exactly who it is. Just the guy who like is exceedingly handsome who drops Smoking a cigarette to cigarette. start the race. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, it's that's it's crazy, but it's also spot on. Actually, as some of our we've had other British guests before, but what do you think? As and I, I don't mean to lump Scotland in with Britain. I don't know how to refer to any of these countries. You know, I, I apologize <laughs> if I offended anyone with my me saying British. Uh, but what do you think of Ms. Rita Ora, global superstar that she is, being the race starter in Fast and Furious Six? Do you like her as a choice? Would you rather? Would you have preferred someone else, or are you okay with Rita Ora in that role? I'm not okay with it. I don't know what the other people... <laughs> yeah, I, that's one of those maybe a bit like what you were saying before, Fraser, where it, that cameo, I don't know for what reason, because there's loads of cameos in these films, aren't there? Especially yeah. on later, but that one really doesn't feel right to me. It, it didn't sit mm. right to me. I, I don't know about you, Fraser, because... I saw you missing when it was mentioned. So. No, well, the only thing I would say is that Rita Ora is fascinating as i don't know what her sort of um how well she is known in the states but she is someone who seems to somehow have a a career based around a music career but she Uh never seems to release any music (laughs) oh she released an album this year fraser i will have you know she put out okay so i'm totally wrong so at least that music doesn't seem to sort of penetrate the mainstream in a way Mm -hmm. that other celebrities do but she has totally mastered the periphery, the tie-ins, yeah. the cameos, the kind of, you know, gossip magazines here in Taiko Atiti are always around doing things. And I'm always just like, wow, she is an incredible business person in this space. So it kind of, it fits for her more than it fits for the UK, I think, to have her sure. start the race. So but she just think- exists like purely as celebrity. I think so, yeah. I have uh. a very warped, twisted perspective on her because a podcast I've mentioned on here a lot, but Who Weekly, which is like a celebrity gossip podcast, but not talking about like A-list, just talking about like Rita Ora level and like reality stars. Literally every episode does a segment called What's Rita Up To? and What's Rita Ora Up To? And they check in on her and she's always, to your point, Fraser, it's like she's hosting this reality show. She's on this fashion show. She and Taika are doing this. And it's just like but how do you sleep? And like, she's always doing things without a base. Like she's, she's essentially famous now for being famous, but she did start yes. with music. She's still doing the music thing, but like the music thing doesn't work. So she's going to do other stuff too. So yeah, she has, she had an album come out and then a single that wasn't on the album. Cause she's like, Oh, you don't like this. Here's a single. And the single was better. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but Sarah, what do you think? Do you like Rita as the, uh, as a British representation? I have actually no idea who she is, so I'm I'm the the odd man out in this conversation. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry. No, you gotta you gotta dive deep. She is worth exploring, but she's the one who goes, "This is London, baby," and then you know, in in Fast and Furious Six. So, okay, okay. Because she was a she was a presenter on The Voice, I think, in the UK, was she? Mm-hmm. And she Probably. delivers that. Yeah, yeah, she delivers that line just exactly like <laughs> did everything on that show, which is 
I think that's why it really doesn't sit right. I'm expecting the chairs to swivel around or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's... Oh, he- here's another UK question for you. A character we have not yet met is Papa Shaw, who we were always jockeying to be Michael Caine, but Michael Caine just retired yes. from acting. So if, considering he's off the table, do the three of you have a recommendation for who you would like to see as the father of Deckard and Owen and Hattie, assuming that they're all from the same father, husband to queenie oh i got i got a, i got one at the end You're i just had British. one you don't count. i know i know but i just had one come into my okay, head okay okay ian mckellen oh i reckon because uh, helen, helen Mirren, she's kind of like and i say this as a huge fan of franchise she's you know she's kind of slumming it she's like thespian mm-hmm, actor mm-hmm. and clearly this is her like um retire uh, you know i'm i don't know I've, I've had a great career let me have some fun and fast and furious ian mckellen similar kind of uh, dramatic legacy and history and also occasionally appears in soap operas on british tv sure okay and okay. um, so I, I could totally see him you know i think that's a great choice yeah that would be my choice what about you guys i think i'd go the obvious choice would, for me would be ray winstone but um whether that would work i don't because the ages are all up in the shaw family like um i mean yeah. hobson shaw's plays around with that completely having vanessa kirby is as the sister and, and the ages are complete. I don't know how old Ray Winstone is compared to. Uh, so uh, Ray Helen Winstone King. is 66. Helen Mirren is 78, but they're all like, they both be 60. Like, like when, <laughs> when they bring in Rita Moreno, it's like, are you mom or grandma? Like, there's no way you're Vin Diesel's grandmother, but yet she is right. Cause he's 28 or whatever he's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forever. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, you know, close close enough. I think I think that works, Josh. Sarah, what about you? Idea for Papa Shaw? I think that I enjoyed um, watching Brian Cox and um, Helen Mirren and Red so much, and I just thought they. Um, so I guess that that's probably uh, uh, influencing that choice. But I think he'd be he'd be an interesting sure. um, addition. Although if he's angry that Succession made him like super famous and he can't do anything, he's like whining about like one of the best roles he's ever had in his career. Like, I don't think he's going to do these movies, but I would also love to see, you know, because he would de- like we always play, you know, in the PG-13 movies, you get one use of the word fuck. He would absolutely get the fucking movie that he's in, right? So, yes. you know, I had a secret thought. OK, what if just hear me out mm-hmm. that maybe just Owen Shaw's dad is actually Mick Jagger. Oh, for yeah. the Hobbs and Shaw tie-in. For the Hobbs and Shaw tie-in, and because he's British, and because that would just be like the coolest shit ever that Helen Mirren was like, oh yeah, Rolling Stones were in town. Oh, you of mean course. like, so not the, not like the actual, like his father in the movies is not played by Mick Jagger. His father is actually Mick Jagger. Both. Okay. Mick Jagger playing Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger actually exists in this world, okay. and he's playing Mick Jagger, who's the father of only, uh, like, not Deckard's father, not Hattie. Maybe Hattie's, too. That that would be perfect, and, and Mick Jagger's a good actor as well, because yeah. if he was playing the, it, per- the performance Mick Jagger as well, mm-hmm. like, that sort of version of Mick Jagger, oh, that would be incredible, yeah. And it would make sense that like Helen Mirren would be there, like the, like Mick Jagger would be like, oh, Helen Mirren, look at this babe, you know, like, back in the day, he'd be like, yeah, told you. <laughs> What was the? I can't remember now. The in Hobson Shaw, right? They had the the whole thing between um, Duckard and Hattie with like they had these uh, the kids games, nicknames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. well, that that had to do with the 
did it? What did it have to do with? Was it? Like they were like scams of... or schemes that they would do that they did as kids, and that's when you know when they, and they were would in give the, rock star names. Yeah, Mick Jagger, yeah. Or Keith Moon, or whatever, right? So and maybe like, that's why. Yeah, mm-hmm. because their it. dad. Because their, da- their dad was never around because he was touring the world as a rock star. Yeah, boy. So that mean that mean does that mean that Keith Moon is Deckard's dad? No, Deckard's dad's just like some like military guy that she was first married to, okay. and then when he was like away. She like met Fair Mick enough. Jagger and had an affair and spawned them. One thing we've been doing all lap long is we've been cataloging because each of our laps has a theme and this is the planes, trains, but no automobiles lap because in between these movies, we're watching movies that have like a, a vehicle chase or a prominent vehicle that's not a car. And so we've been cataloging all the non-cars in all these movies. And I have a bunch, but there's also a point in this movie where I'm just like, there's not a lot of vehicles. Like, there's like a 45 minute stretch where I'm just like, they're just on a plane and in a warehouse. Like, there's not even cars for a lot of this movie. I'm like, this is so weird. But, Joe, I've got a handful. What did you catch here in terms of non car vehicles? You go first. I forgot, and I'm now thinking through in my head. Joe, this sorry, is your sorry, thing. sorry, this sorry, is your sorry. Favorite I know, thing every I know. Episode. We've only done it like 27 times this lap. Are zombie cars actual? I wrote down zombie cars are not a new type of vehicle, right? Okay. Okay. So the opening water, where was Havana, Cuba, not a single boat. Zero boats. (laughs) And I'm like, where's all the boats? No boats. But there are motorcycles and bikes in Havana. Yes. Hobbs is like a kind of a military vehicle. It's car adjacent when they steal the EMP, but like it's like a more muscly kind of car. There's the prison transport bus. Yes. Cypher's plane. The toy shop where they go to with Blanta, there's mostly cars there, but there is also a helicopter and a straight-up tank in that room. When they go to where the submarine is, there's the submarine and helicopters and snowmobiles and a snow tank with treads. And also Hobbs kind of has like a snow plow, which is like a car, but with a plow, you know, a little bit different. I think that's all I found, but that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven... 9, 10 ish, which is pretty decent. Um, do any of you remember another non car in this movie? There's a there's a horse and cart in the Havana. Oh, does that yeah, we establish? Uh, I don't know. It's a large argument that we've oh, been having oh, with shit. our listeners Sorry. for a while. <laughs> but no, no. But horses, we, I think horse and horse and cart counts. That I, for me, yes. I did not write down Cipher's parachute because we talked about that being not a vehicle. But I was like, par- no, not a parachute. We can't. We exempted that. So yeah, yeah. Because I, I think, I think horse and cart counts. There. Yeah. Would you count uh, Roman's car door? Oh, car door like a sled kind yeah. of right, like a little. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. There's a lot in the snow. Like, they really give us our money's worth for non-cars in that snow scene. Snowmobiles are cool. That's always a cool addition yeah. of everything. It's just like a snow jet ski, right? Where's Mark yeah. Hoffmeyer when we need him? Seriously. Well, this this film is the most Bond-like, and that whole snow section just yeah. feels like they're just really leaning into the Bond thing and sure. Cypher's monologues and everything. But, yeah, yeah, it's enjoyable, I think. But I really wanted to see Dom get on skis at some point and do a bit oh, of a triple well, X. I mean, yeah, Triple X, the Return of Xander Cage, where he skis through the jungle, right? Like, that's, you know... I, we, we, we covered all of Vin Diesel... Not all of, but almost all of Vin Diesel's movies, I think, last lap. And there's the scene in that movie where he's on the plane, and there's the young woman who... I don't remember the actress, but, like, she's super horny for Xander. And every time I watch this movie, I'm like, I, I put her into this movie, and I'm like, oh, she's on this plane. But no, like, Cypher's <laughs> plane is all business. But I'm like, there's that girl who really wants to fuck Vin Diesel. Where is she? Oh, no, she's in a different movie. But, yeah, you know... 
any other thoughts about, because we have a couple games to play, and I want to talk about the book a little bit more, but any other thoughts about The Fate of the Furious? Actually, it's just a very small thought, but you just reminded me by saying the name again there, is that I was very confused on this rewatch about how they understand the word fate. Um, Cypher is always talking about fate when she doesn't actually mean fate, when she gives someone a choice. And then the tr- the twist is that they didn't have a choice because just behind this curtain is a man with a bazooka who will shoot you, you know, mm-hmm. whichever decision you make. It's fate. And it's like, I don't know if that's fate, Cypher. I think you've just, you know, rigged this very small decision that he could have made. And I was wondering, and I'd be interested to know what you think, whether the theme of fate was written into the script because they came up with the pun the for number. the title <laughs> before they started writing the script or you know, how that works out, because Fate's not a huge part of the franchise. Um, I'm saying cautiously no. with, two, with two much more familiar people than I am. But in this film, they're always chatting about Fate in between watering holes and tigers and crocodiles and everything else. So, I'd, yeah, I'd love to hear what you all thought of that. You know, that would imply that they actually think about the movies as they write them, right? Like, True. we talked about f9 for like you know because especially because i was delayed because of covid like talked about that for like two and a half years and until we saw the movie in theaters and even then we're like we don't know what this movie's called like is it f9 is it fast nine is it is it the fast saga now because like vin was going around being like it's the fast saga we're like is that this vin movie called it three different about? things yeah and we're just like we don't know what it was and i think it's just f9 but like even then i'm just like i'm not a hundred percent sure um so is the fate of the furious did they write in fate or did they come up with i mean People wanted fast ten-year seatbelts. They didn't do that, right? So I don't know. There's there's names out there. I a hundred percent think that this is Vin was like it's going to be F eight, fate stylized, and he's like, yeah, put some more fate in this, sprinkle some more fate in in this movie, and he had like the other writers add in as many things of fate that he could, and he was like, yeah, that works. That's cool. And like okayed it. I don't think that he necessarily did, but I think he was a strong influence to be like, we should keep all this cool fate puns happening in this movie to to like run with the title because it just seems like that that would be a decision that he would make, in my opinion. Yeah, that maybe explains the the cipher monologues and, and the way they don't make sense. If if he's just shouting off off camera, more fate, more fate, mm-hmm. <laughs> just handing a notes. <laughs> there was a note that I, I made from the book where they talk about Vin as the fanboy auteur. Right? I love this term. This was my term when I said I learned new words. Fanboy auteur is we've like danced around a word for that for so long. But yes. Because he's like Joey. he's like, you know, I'm making the movies, but also I love these movies the way you do. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like he straddles that line. I thought that was a very also like Diesel emerges as the franchise custodian. I'm just like, okay, yeah, pretty cool. But it is, it is interesting that he's constantly like, we, we are doing this. And it's like, no, you're doing this. Uh, but he like includes us, which is very familial and cool. Mm-hmm. And, and as we've seen and said and talked about on our show endlessly, like they do listen to the fans, like they'll make weird turns. And it's just cause like, we really like Han and we really want more Han. So they're like, fine, give it to him. Do it. Go to space. Who cares? They'll yep. do it. Yeah. I think that's what's so interesting about this film, though, that I guess bringing sure is to some degree listening to the fans, but in a large degree, not, isn't it? It's one of the most controversial decisions they've made. Yep. So, and watching it again, the integrating sure into the family really didn't 
it didn't work. <laughs> I don't think. Bear, bearing in mind, just just legally, it doesn't work. He kills about forty cops, doesn't he, at the start of Furious Seven? I think, right? It's, it's not just Han that he has to has to pay for in some ways. I don't know. No, but I think that that's like it's it's a it is a smart move. Like as diehard fans, you don't want this, but as any other more passive fan that people aren't like us are. It's like, oh, we get more Jason Statham, not we get the guy that killed Han. So it was a, it's a controversial decision to to a subset of the fandom, but I think overall, like it, it was a really smart move and like something that they they couldn't pass up doing if Jason Statham wants to do more of these, right? Well, I think I think there's something that I I we've talked a lot in, in on this show about something that you cover in at least one of the essays about like the diversity and how like there's a lot more racial diversity in these films than in a lot of other franchises, right? But as you point out, or whoever writes that, I don't remember if one of you wrote the essay or someone else wrote that essay, but they talk about how, like, a lot of that is not necessarily, like, weighty, meaty stuff. It's a lot of, like, Roman jokey lines. But something that I was, I had my eyes open to in the book that we never talked about in spite of saying, like, this cast is so diverse. Like Aside from, like, LGBTQ, like, there's not a lot of queer characters. Like, there are in the video game and in, the, in Spy Racers, but not in the main franchise. But I didn't really think about, like, since, and you, you point out in the book, since Hobbs, basically every new addition is a white person. And it's like, this used to be so racially diverse, and now it's just like, well, now we got Statham. Now we got Hattie. Well, they, we got they filled Nero, out all got... the boxes in the family already, and we don't have room for anybody else. Well, it's like it's like they hit, and there's the whole thing that I mean, maybe Fraser, you wrote about the Chinese box office, I think, right? Like, where they've done such a big job of, like, making sure that they play in every market. And they're like, well, we're in every market now, so we might as well just add more white people, right? And it's just like, <laughs> Back all to the, the basics. most famous people in the world go. are white, so, like, let's add John Cena, let's add Charlie Theron. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe, like you lose a bit of that diversity and even like so much of that, like the diversity in the book is, or, you know, in the franchise in terms of like dialogue, is just, is Vin, is Dom. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, you know, he's still kind of mostly sort of white. Like we don't, we don't really know. Like he doesn't say, right. So that was a very, you know, like I liked a lot about the book, but that was just like, Oh yeah, they, they kind of used to walk the walk and now they kind of don't really anymore. Yeah. I think, cause I wrote that with, um, a great scholar he's called pete jones but he's the one who did all the number crunching on mm-hmm. every he, he watched mm. every film counted every line of dialogue and then um we had these conversations and and yeah we noticed that they become more risk averse as they become more successful you know mm-hmm. the film become this huge box office gargantuan thing and then all of a sudden they begin to take less risks in terms of the casting whereas the first few films they could afford to take the risk because they were smaller budget there weren't the expectations and and as you said bringing in the likes of charlie's theron kurt russell um jason statham mm-hmm. these are all tried and tested names who are going to be popular but don't have that sort of i guess that that diversity that we came to love i guess the nature of the family in those opening films so no and i think there's something to like you know there's a real split and divide among fans of like liking earlier movies versus later movies and i think there's there's a tendency like a lot you know the more we watch these movies the more these new movies that come out like i think i like the earlier ones better because the new ones kind of feel samey in terms of the mcu style the mission impossible the like all good movies all fun to watch but also now they kind of look more samey that it's filled with white people as opposed to like you watch too fast like it's a very 
diverse cast and just like not my favorite movie but at least it feels unlike almost anything else that was coming out at the time right so it, it looks and feels different i think that's that was a really good essay in the book for sure yeah yeah i think it's um that thing the further it's almost like what we we're talking about before as well it's the first film's based on that subculture of street racing which as Mary Beltran talks about, is a really di racially diverse community. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then the further they get away from it, the more and more they become like James Bond, like Ethan Hunt, then almost, yeah, it also works in that way, doesn't it? And, and yeah, it's an interesting one, definitely. And, and yeah, counting up the dialogue, it was just something that occurred to us as, as we went through. And, and Fraser's work on China as well was really useful as well for exploring all those sorts of things i think yeah. well it's also like the, the fraser like you can maybe elaborate on a little bit more but just like you, you kind of it kind of blurs like to be successful there you have to like play by their rules and it's like how much do they actually want to do what they want to do and how much is it like well china's like well you have to do this now if you want to play here right so if you want to talk about that a little bit yeah it's really interesting i think the because you know since Ch the chinese box office sort of exploded in the 2010s and became one of the biggest if not the biggest in the world and we saw all these Hollywood studios trying to get into that market by appealing or trying to appeal to both the audience, but also the censors there. So yeah, there's, there's no age classification system in China. So if you release a film there, it needs to be suitable for all ages. You know, it can't ah. contain explicit sex, violence. There are some very, it's all a bit vague, but there are some rules about things like skeletons and ghosts that shouldn't be included as well as obviously the political stuff. Um, and I think the really interesting thing about Fast and Furious is that a number of the films have been co-produced by China, but mm -hmm. that's not part of the narrative of how they're seen or discussed in um, the rest of the world. You know, Fate Until of the Furious. Until John Cena, you know, runs yeah. his mouth and then it becomes like international news. Exactly, yeah. But, but pre And pre-John Cena's blunder, like, you know, re-watching Fate of the Furious, China film. Uh, companies all over the kind of credits yep. the crazy or the lack thereof of crazy credits for this film um mm. china's all over it but i think the really interesting what i find most interesting is that fast and furious just seems to be kind of uniquely compatible with the chinese box office so it doesn't need to censor itself because it's already sure. you know kind of disappointingly sexless it's already occasionally quite conservative in its politics and it's not taking pot shots at any major countries it's just these vague organizations was the first movie ever really screened there because the first movie is pretty horny at least compared to like later movies is, did that ever get prominence or was it it was just like later movies like five six seven like seven and beyond really right so i i don't know about those those early ones i i have to say i was sort of looking more at the ones that we yeah, were co-produced sure. or released more recently since the kind of transition to, to heist movies um because also the chinese box office was pretty um small and insular before sort of the late 2000s so it's kind of hard to go back and look there i'm pretty sure there would have been a strong home media scene for those fast and furious movies and you know like um initial d the manga was mm -hmm. yeah. there was like there's like a hong kong version those films are really popular um in china so i wouldn't be surprised if those films made it but um in terms of cinema releases that were big enough to be reported on uh, it was more the, the later ones um sort of post yeah um, makes sense yeah another thing i liked about the book just a quote so i think the quote the the book does a really good job of like sourcing quotes like a, a lot of researchers like finding other things that have other other things that other people have written about it but like yep. very early in the book it's just there's a quote from someone where it just says 
the cars in these films are, quote, completely and unapologetically unbound from any real-world understanding of how cars actually work. It's like, yeah, that's why we love these movies. Like, you succinctly put it up, so thank you for that. Uh, also, you referenced that the calling Mendelssohn writes about The Rock as franchise Viagra, which is, like, a thing that we had heard, and then we couldn't find sourced, and we're like, did we make that up? We didn't make that up, but, like, we couldn't find Somebody so said it. We read it I'm somewhere it at some point. There. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we, we've, like, specifically said that a bajillion times. One of the many times in the book, I, th- I don't think we talked about this while we were recording, but I was complaining that, like, so many of the essays talk about Paul dying, and I'm just like, please stop doing this. But the one talking about how he, like, is basically framed and lit like an angel in Fury 7, I'm just like, wow, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. And then a lot of the, like, homoerotic and also, like, the Mia's This is something ba- we talk about Mia's a lot. baby also as like both Brian's baby and Dom's baby and just like the way that there's like that love triangle that like is super weird but also makes total sense and like isn't weird if you know the franchise but if you describe it, it's like mm, it's kind of weird but then also about how at the end of seven when Dom is maybe dead and Brian's not there like Brian should be the one holding him and they're like maybe he didn't have the footage or whatever and I'm just like yeah like it's that would have been really powerful to have like Brian cradling Dom as maybe China's just like, hold on, what are we doing here? Right. But <laughs> was there a particular essay, a particular thing about the editing of the book that each of you found that you were like most surprised by or happiest about like something that you discovered, like your favorite little bit in the book? For us, um, you know, the way that, that we had done is we put out an open call, mm-hmm. right. For essays. So I think that part of that is that, you know, there were some people who we had knew, known their scholarship or had a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So kind of knew what we were um, maybe going to um, uh, to get. But a lot of a lot of the scholars we, you know, uh, hadn't known. So I think that part of probably for all of us, I think, in our discussions was just how great um, that was to be yep. introduced to it. Um, but other than obviously um, the fantastic um, essays we've already talked about that Fraser and Josh wrote, um, I think it was um, the um, last one about um, wrestling and mm, um, mm-hmm. that Rob uh, Watts wrote. Because for me, it was, you know, having watched kind of in like that golden age of, you know, WWF hadn't really seen how so many of those techniques were both showing up in the film, but also in the marketing for the film. So I think that kind of put together a lot of um, things for me. And plus to put in the um, index candy asses as one of the (laughs) search terms was um, a great joy. Yeah, there's something like there's about like putting quotes in there, whether they're things you're sourcing or things that you're writing, but like there is a book forever on the market that includes the line quote where attractive bald men come to thrive it's like yeah that's these that's these movies like that's how to that's academically how to describe these movies it's like you are you a handsome bald man we got home for you right so and the wwe thing is crazy because for a while we were arguing that the beef be like outwardly that you're seeing between the rock and vin was just wrestling promo we were saying that it it was playing too much like it, that one of them posts something on Instagram, the other one goes on a show and says, he's an idiot, I'll never go back. And then he does come back, right? At the end of 10, we see him. So we're like, the more that we learn about The Rock and Vin, the more we're thinking, yes, they probably have giant egos and we're two men that were probably egotistically jealous of each other, fine. But at the same time, like, it kind of did play out just like a wrestling bit, right? Like, that's just how it works. Well, there's also, there's the essay in here, and it's the one, it's another thing, I never want to lose a fight, where 
I never thought about this, but we, we, we had heard about, we talked about like how they have like the punch for punch, like you can't get punched more than you punch, right? But you make the note in here that like none of them really win fights either. They all just kind of end, right? And it's like, that's weird. Like they don't lose fights, but they don't win fights either, which is a... Uh, not a common thing, right? So it's a very strange, but that was, a, I think that's a very good point. Everyone wins. There's a strange symmetry that affects the fight scenes whereby everyone comes out the victor. Just like, well, everybody can't win. That's not, a, that's not how a fight works. Like, somebody's got to lose, right? But like these movies are like, you'd think they're all good. Especially with dominant characters like The Rock and Vin Diesel. It's, that's, that's what's so good about Rebecca's essay in that it's almost, they're so macho that mm-hmm. they just eclipse any chance of wiping each other out. You know, they cancel each other out. Two massive egos. Yeah. yeah. And it was the same when uh, when we were talking about what surprises. We mentioned before, you, you were saying the first film is probably the most sexually explicit, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But Aaron Hunter's essay in there, uh, Fast, Furious and Free of Sex, it had never really occurred to me until he began pitching that essay. Just how... There's no sex. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Something we talked about in here a lot is that, like, in 10, right, when they're like, baby B's asleep, and then what he wants to do is put his head on Letty's belly. Like, it's not like they want to have sex to have sex. <laughs> like, they want to have sex to have a baby. Like, they want more family. Family. It's, like, it's a generation of new family. That's what this is. Christian, chaste, we we have sex, and I don't even like calling it sex, to reproduce, and that's it. It's like, we want more family. It's like, well, okay, okay. <laughs> And that happens sure. in Fate of the Furious as well, when you have mm-hmm. sort of Dom and Letty having their sort of um, Cuban, mm-hmm. you know, in the curtains, and it's all a bit sort of sexy, and then they sit down, and they're like, have you ever thought about children? Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of like, oh, I thought, you know, we were going to go somewhere with here, but no. No. Nope. nope. Always kids. More family. That's the only reason why we do this. That's what's so fascinating about Los Bandoleros, though, isn't it? To go back to that. Mm-hmm. The chemistry yeah. was really there, and... and it's so odd, but I guess it fits on this idea of pitching this to as wide a market as possible that Los Bandoleros can have that, but mm-hmm. the rest of the franchise can't as, as it moves forward. And yeah, it's it's a shame because, and I mean, one of the things we found when we were researching it is just how often people mention that the, the initial cast were just all incredibly attractive, weren't yep. they? <laughs> it's incredibly attractive. Down the line, they hit the mark. Yep, exactly. I also do want to say, in that Los Bondoleros essay, you have forever committed to ink and paper, quote, the odor of skanks. So that is forever in libraries around. By the way, like, where, if people want to buy this book or read this book, I know it was very expensive. It's becoming a little bit more expensive. Is there a place that people can buy this affordably? Like, how do people get their hands on it if they want to read these essays? You can always get in touch with us if you're a researcher and you want to do it. And mm-hmm. we're just, just to share it, but um, whether we should be saying that, maybe we're academic <laughs> in that way, but um, hopefully we're hoping a paperback will come out not too long, hopefully maybe mid 2024, and it should be much cheaper. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really good news for our, our um, listeners, because a lot of people are super, super curious about reading the book, but you know, it's it's an academic text. We know how it works. I think all of us went to school Joe still works at a school, right? Yep. I still work at a school. I know how this this works. And it's not like you guys are seeing the money from the book. So understood. Um, I had a general question. Like, what are you guys using the text for uh, right now? Like, do you do you use it in a course? Uh, what is the course? Is it like a part of it, the entire course? Can you tell? I'm using it at the moment with uh, I have a final year undergraduate sort of module. 
which is about contemporary American cinema. And I do four weeks on action. So I get them to read uh, bits of the book and, and we watch The Fast and the Furious. And we also watch one of the later films and compare and Love contrast it. and see how much. Ooh, is which one do you choose for the later one? Which one, which, which movie do you choose? Have you switched it around? Is there one that you go to? Yeah, I used to do Fate of the Furious, um, but recently I've gone to Fast and Furious 6. Um, and then maybe if I ever have the time, because you have to fit it in a timetable, I'll go for Fast 10. But as okay. the films get longer and longer, it's incredibly mm-hmm. hard. Oh, we to... know. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I I use the book for, we have a course at Edinburgh called Mediating Film, where we talk about how films are mediated for audiences and we do a week on the franchise Mm -hmm. film so we look at fast and furious we look at furious seven um because it's a really nice case study that kind of explodes a lot of the current thinking around franchises as being you know very pre-planned part of these transmedia all of these questions um and it's a very strange franchise film, partly due to Paul Walker's death and what that means for how audiences relate to the film. But it's a really useful example of telling the students, yeah, you know, in some ways this really fits what we think of when we think of a franchise film, but in other ways it's totally different. So it's a nice kind of messy example that we can use to get the students thinking. Um, and I get to traumatize a group of students every year uh, with Paul Walker's um, yeah. death, because that a lot of our students are from China, and it seems ah. it seems that actually Paul Walker's death was r- really hit hard with a lot of the fans mm. in China. So um, there's always a couple of students that get very upset, and I start the class with "See you again." I, I put it oh, on when God. they're in. Um, so it always gets a, you can kind of it, it's a good way of identifying the fans because they'll kind of Absolutely do a little. Yeah. See you again or get my wife in the grocery store. Yeah, man. we've talked She's about in, how that, yeah. that cannot be played in public. Like there's there's it's a trigger warning for way too many people. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. It probably speaks badly of my teaching. But no, I would no, agree you're, with you're, you. You're separating the family from the non family, right? Sarah, how do you do you use the book in your in your day to day? So I um use it in a class I teach for undergraduates called um researching the uh, global creative industry. So I look at, um, in particular, uh, the article Josh and Pete wrote about how you can understand uh, as a method looking at dialogue networks, because I think mm. um, that's something that, you know, particularly in the global creative industries, obviously issues around equity, um, diversity and inclusion are so important. And sort of how do you actually um, look at what that is beyond kind of a a kind of politics of visibility. So I think what's really interesting about the um, essay that they wrote um, is that it it looks at kind of what does the action generate and and all of those things. But I also teach a class on um, audience engagement. So I'll now um, use your podcast um, oh. as um, an example. So perhaps we'll um, have to have um, you come and talk to our students, maybe virtually, oh, about what you're doing. Oh, very cool. People are fans of this franchise. So it's always uh, a nice place to find other friends. And I think that a lot of people do, as fans, find comfort in the franchise. And it, it, it actually has become a family. Like you guys talk a lot about family in the book and how Vin uses the word family in the movies and the in the promo uses the word family. But from my personal experience it really like if you're a fan of the franchise it is really familial so i think that they they do it right 
I'm never not surprised by like how like every time a new lap starts, I'm like, I gotta find another like uh, every time it's like another person, like another because there's another movie, another whatever. But like I'm I'm always surprised by I'm never surprised, but I'm always surprised by the amount of people who will talk about these movies, who passionately care about these movies, and have new things to say about them that we have not covered in the like hundred whatever times. Like we've done three hundred episodes of this, but like we've talked about the movies, you know, hundred and fifty times or whatever, and there's still new things. That's, like it, it's crazy, right? So I don't know. It's wild. And everybody loves them, and you'll have scholars that love them, and you'll have people that are our friends that love them, and every background person. And then what we pitch is that Fast and the Furious is for everyone. That's that's what we've always mm-hmm. pitched. So we've like you know had some guests that were like, these movies aren't for me. You said you know maybe you don't like cars, maybe you don't. But we're like no, there's something in it for everyone. If you like action movies, if you yep. like cars, if you like everything, if you'll you find just something. like staring at handsome bald men. You'll Boy, find those. I got two for of them for you. Mm-hmm. Three now, right? You got so many. Um, yeah. Are you ready to find out which Fast and Furious characters you all are? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what I'm going to do, there's seven questions. We made a quiz. We had found a quiz. The quiz sucked. We made a better quiz. So we have seven questions. There's six multiple choice answers. I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to get each of your answers. I'm going to write them down. Then I'm going to go through. So instead of like doing the whole quiz three times, we'll do it one time. Get all of your answers and go from there. So no wrong answers. You can explain yourself or not. And we'll just go Josh, Sarah, Fraser, and we'll go in that order. Also, you could lie. We, we don't also say lie. this, but you could just fucking lie if you want. Just pick the answer that you want to. Yeah, whatever. So, okay. Question number one. How fast are you? NASCAR, roller coaster, Lamborghini Murcielago, Toyota Prius, Vespa, or Razor Scooter? How fast are you? Um. Probably gonna go Prius. Yeah, I'm okay. not. I'm not. Not that. Not at that high level. Okay, Sarah. I um probably would get a speeding ticket for going under a speed limit, so I'm gonna go Razor Scooter. Okay. 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 And uh, Fraser. I'm I'm going NASCAR. Um, Sweet. purely because I used to work as a video game tester on NASCAR 2014. <laughs> Ooh, so that's, that so that's really cool. Ago. Very cool. All right, question number two. You know what's coming. How furious are you? The Hulk, Kylo Ren, Christian Bale on that one movie set that one time, Mel Gibson, Charlie Brown, or Jack McBrayer from 30 Rock? I think I'm going to go with The Hulk, um, okay. mainly because I can feel like I've got it simmering under the surface there. Okay. <laughs> You're always angry. Okay, cool. Sarah? Hulk. Okay. Fraser? I am apathetic in the extreme, so I will go for the guy from Thirty Rock, which okay. I've not seen. So you're the fastest and least furious. All right. We're having a barbecue. How are you all helping? Are you on the grill? Are you saying grace? Are you kicking back with a beer? Are you babysitting? Are you being the entertainment? Or are you sneaking a snack? Probably whenever there's a barbecue, I'm stood near the person doing the grill to look like I'm doing something. So I'm okay. probably ha- I'm having a snack. I think. Okay. 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 First off, you're the taster. I mm-hmm. get it. Sarah. Beer. Beer. Fraser. I'll stand next to Josh. I'll be on the grill. Okay. Very cool. We've got the this whole barbecue was shaping up perfectly. We got three <laughs> of the six jobs covered. Yeah. I'm just I'm chilling in the back. <laughs> this is all great. right. You've got time to kill. What are you doing? Are you grabbing a bite, working on your car, hanging with friends, drinking a beer, working out, or doing some work on your computer? Yeah, I guess hanging out with friends, I think. Okay, yeah. okay. 
Gonna go with beer. Beer again? Sweet. Fraser? Hey, I'm grabbing a bite. All right. Maybe the bite I cooked on the grill previously. Ooh. Question number five. Describe your wedding. I'm never getting married. It's just me and our part me and my partner. It's us and our families. It's a backyard country affair. Everyone I know is there. I don't don't remember. remember. I'm gonna go, it's me and my partner. I'll go Los Bandolero style. Okay. Love it. Love it. Sarah? Well, with all the beer I'm drinking, I should probably not remember but i'm actually gonna go with i'm never getting married okay and fraser also never getting married okay so we're having barbecues we're not having very many weddings though that's that's what yeah yeah yeah. okay that's why we need the barbecues i guess so in lieu of weddings i'm now worried do i have to get married after this the The pressure is all resting on you also we're not invited to your wedding anyway it's just you and your partner right (laughs) so like we're not we're not going there so it's fine we're grilling it up somewhere else (laughs) all right congratulations you just won the lottery what are you buying your own garage a private plane i'm gambling it all away my child at home a fleet of cars, or a new life? I'm going to go a new life, because it could mean... it's. I mean, yeah, you could take that anywhere, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Sarah? Fleet of cars. Okay. Because, you know, from Whoa. Detroit. Love it. Yeah. Fraser? Uh, I'm having a new life as well. Okay. The last question to determine it all, and I have no idea what any of you are because I've not typed it, I've not clued in any of the things. So I, this is all I'm, we're all. There's in the a very here. sophisticated algorithm behind the scenes. There really is. That's not even a lie. This was coded by our listener Wes Hampton, who also read the book. We distributed a copy because he is also a researcher, of course, and he did not have any questions, but he did want us to let you know that he enjoyed the book. So oh. he just wanted to. Oh. So yeah. there you go. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for and reading. Question it. number seven to determine it all: What is your drink of choice? Belgian ale, Corona. Something fruity, water, whatever's cheapest, or whatever Joe's having at the bar, just give me one of whatever you're having. I'm going to go Belgian ale. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to go the same. I want to I wanna say Corona, but I'd probably go with a Belgian ale. You got you to live your truth. Fraser? I'm a non-drinker, so out of those options are something fruity, but it's probably like a soda. That's fine. That could be like fine. A, like a mango and passion fruit. Why not? Okay. Cranberry juice straight. I get you. All right, Josh. We've got Prius. We've got Hulk. We've got Snack. We've got Hanging with Friends. Me and my partner. A New Life. Belgian Ale. You are Han Lu. Yes. You are the ultimate example of cool. Even when things are spinning out of control, you keep calm, find a way through, and look smooth doing it. You know the secret to life isn't what you have, but who you keep around you. Your family means everything. They're a reflection of you, so you choose them carefully, and you're always there when they need you. And you drive Drive like like the the wind wind blows. So happy. I feel that's a very accurate description of you, of Josh. Cool. That's good. Oh well, that's good to hear that that you, Sarah, you think I'm like him. That's 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 nice. I mean, I couldn't <laughs> be more more happy, really. All right, so Sarah. Also, I realize you know Fraser and Sarah have like the same rankings, but one of them is very fast and not furious. The other is very slow and super furious. Right? So, like, <laughs> polar opposites in one, very similar in the other. So Sarah, you've got Razor Scooter, you've got the Hulk as well. You've got kicking back with a beer, drinking a beer. <laughs> Never getting married, buying a fleet of cars, 
and also the Belgian ale. Sarah, you are Mr. Nobody. People <laughs> see you as a bit of a mystery, and you love it. You've got more going on than anyone realizes, but your greatest joy comes from executing a plan perfectly and leaving everyone around you wondering how you pulled it off. You're great at keeping secrets, but you're always willing to help those who can help you. You don't have family, so to speak, because letting people get too close might dissipate some of your mystical aura, so you'll settle for friends, and you drive, drive like, the, like wind the wind blows. <laughs> and I'm also a secret supervillain. There you go. You are the mastermind. That's my theory. That's my theory, always. And Fraser, you are NASCAR, Jack McBrayer, manning the grill, grabbing a bite, never getting married, buying a new life or, you know, getting a new life, drinking something fruity. Oh, I think I have a guess. What's your guess? My guess is somehow Jesse. But maybe it's not techie enough. No. Okay, go ahead. I'm, what is I'm a, it? What I'm is a little it? disappointed. I'm happy. I'm a little disappointed. You are also Han. Wait. Oh. Han no. only has a 4% chance. And you had very different answers. But you're also the, Han. The str- in, the strong, in the strong Hans, you were strong. So once Hans. again, you're the ultimate example of cool. Even when things are spinning out of control, you keep calm, find a way through it, look smooth doing it. The secret of life isn't what you have, but who you keep around you. Your family means everything. They're a reflection of you, so you choose them carefully, and you're always there when they need you, and you drive like, like the, the wind, wind blows. blows. I feel like, Josh, you and I need to fight this to the death. We need a, 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 quarter, a quarter mile, <laughs> I right? Think, I think Preferably if I remember right, Josh was a, a stronger Han. Like, he had more points toward Han, but... Yeah, there's like a whole scoring system. It's I'll I take a week like, ahead. There, there's also the added dynamic here that Sarah somehow faked both of your deaths. Like there is that. <laughs> yeah. Too. Yeah. Oh, no. You know? That's, well, that's material for have... another book. Exactly. Well, and they couldn't start a new life unless I had the. Oh, good point. Very unbelievable. Good point. But thank you all so much for joining us this evening to, number one, doing all the work. How long, how many years did this take? Because I know, I'm sure it's measured in years, not months. How many years did this book take from, like, idea to actually having a copy in your hands? Three oh. and a half, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. COVID, COVID happened in the middle of it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. That's what I was going to ask you. I saw, like, the, the at the very beginning, you guys say COVID. So, like, you were already had, like, started, planned, writing, all of these things, and then COVID happens. Yeah. Wow. which is yeah and then it was great having a really supportive group of people there who all loved a franchise about family so we could sort of uh you know rely on them and and lots of understanding about delays and everything like that so yeah. no very cool that's, i don't want to give awesome. you more work to do but some of these essays there's obviously stuff that's happened movies have come out feuds have been squashed beefs have been squashed whatever is there any thought either not to do like another book but either to you know edit essays update essays do something online or is this like the book is done the book is done i think we're working on something on franchise viagra very uh, cool. Dwayne Johnson looking at him and, um, and and the beefs and and we started thinking about that before Fast Ten came out and then mm-hmm. we're gonna have to completely rethink that. But yeah, it should be interesting. No, it, that's what's so weird because like I you know my my boss writes things sometimes and like so, you know he's he's chosen not to do books because he knows just the process by the time it comes mm-hmm. out it's like 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 what's in here especially the earlier stuff like that's still bulletproof but like this is basically kind of like 
ensconced in amber or around the time of F9, right? So, like, it's, like, current through there, but there's so much that's happened both on and off screen where it's, like, not Justin that this Lin is, like, wrong, but it's, like, incomplete just because it took you four it, four years. Like, that's crazy, right? So I can see, like, you should be, like, so happy with this, but it's also, like, oh, I just want to I want to make sure that we know, like, Hobbs is yeah. back, right? So. <laughs> I mean, we actually, like, um, we started it after fate of the furious and the fit we got the first draft of the chapters in before fast nine came out and a lot of the chapters ended by going you know it looks like han will maybe be mm-hmm, back or mm-hmm, it looks mm-hmm. like this could possibly happen um maybe they'll go to space and we yeah. had to after it came out we had to email everyone and be like thanks so much by the way when the book comes out the film has come out so can you please go back and change those so we had to do quite a bit of that actually i'm sure um, that's crazy yeah. well but- I think we were also talking about um, when the paper book, um, paperback comes out, um, doing something kind of online, um, you know, that would, uh, and maybe that's one of the things we can take um, your idea, sort of asking maybe people to kind of, what, how would you approach what you were doing, the essay that you wrote in the topic, but thinking about what's happened mm. since. So we'll have to make sure that you guys have an invitation or um, have a, um, a special um, yeah. uh, space for that. And I also, I wanted to ask you um, both actually a question about this mm-hmm. um, during, when we were writing the book um, at, during COVID, we also had a film club and tried to watch every, but mainly about spa, um, spy racers, but we also tried to watch all of the films that any cast member in Fast and Furious um, was on on um, Netflix. But okay. we ended up watching this completely bonkers movie with Paul Walker called Timeline. And I don't know if you guys have we covered We didn't that. cover time. No, we did a Paul Walker lap, but we didn't watch time. We were like selectively choosing them at the time. And so, we yeah, didn't Paul, have we did as the much... Paul Walker lap early. Very early. We had. So like that's one that like in a couple laps, we're going to sort of fill in some of those gaps. Directed by Richard Donner of Superman fame. Wow. Okay. Okay. Thank you for the suggestion. Okay, greatly I'm appreciate. Fast. Yeah. Okay, I I had no idea. I mean, the, the poster art alone is incredible, right? So, timeline wor- worth. Is it good or just like worth watching because it's like it's weird? I think the answer is yes. It's like <laughs> involves a fax machine and and okay. it's, it's like okay, okay, yeah. It's kind of one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Um, but definitely one for trash cinema. Um, like kind of uh, Academy Awards. What, okay. what do you guys think? Similar, yeah, yeah. It's okay. just an experience. Okay, I'm gonna make a note of that in the in the upcoming lap to make sure we do timeline. 2003's timeline. Okay, beautiful. There was cool. also the Michelle Rodriguez film where she played Frank Kitchen, which I can't remember what the film was called. Do we do you remember? Oh, is that is that the one where she? It was like the the trans story. Is that that yes. one? Like the, the newer yes. one, which was mm-hmm. yes, where a people real... are just like. Mm. <laughs> Yes, that's the correct um, noise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that movie was The Assignment, of course. Yes, the Assignment. Oh, of course, God. We, you know, we did almost all of her movies, and that's when we're just like, I don't think we need to cover this one. Yes, that doesn't need committing to public record, for sure. Uh, but now that, you know, people know you, we'll tag you on Twitter on X when we post this episode. But aside from there, where can people find you? Is there other stuff that you've written or published that you want people to know about you? Or do you want to remain a mystery? That's totally cool, too. Josh, we'll start with you. Anything that people you, you want people to know about you that they can find you online? Um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, like you said, um, or X as it's called now. But other than that, no, um, I'm, yeah, 
No, not really. No, I feel like I've become Mr. Nobody now, Mr. Mysterious. I don't, I don't think there's anything else I need to plug. I am also on Twitter um, and uh, delighted uh, to uh, talk to anyone about um, Fast and Furious. Um, and we'll look forward to um, continuing to follow you guys on, on Twitter as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Fraser? I feel like as the weaker hand, I need to kind of um, maintain some elusiveness to, to maybe become the stronger hand. So no, there's not, nothing else from me other than also on Twitter <laughs> and, and things like that. Um, otherwise, I'll just be riding off into the Tokyo sunset, hopefully. Love it. Uh, in one Beautiful. piece. Beautiful. Can I just quickly uh, plug something both of mm -hmm. them are doing? So yeah, yeah. Fraser, and I know that I was listening to your guys' podcast and I knew one of the laps you did, you looked at the Shaw brothers and you also looked at the Shaw brothers. Mm -hmm. And so um, Frasier is, is just about to put uh, publishing a book that's about Hong Kong cinema. Ooh. There's also a, a number of really great um, articles that uh, Josh um, has written um, kind of about some of the themes that we were talking about around like celebrity culture. Um, but do you have anything in the pipeline specifically Angelina Jolie needs to pick up on that and, and, go, and carry that forward. But, if, yeah. if those are, I don't know if those are available like publicly or if they're like this where they're sort of, sort of harder, but if, if you have links to those, if you want to send those links, we can put links in the description for this episode. We can just get those out there. Or, you know, if you just, if they're collected somewhere that you need to buy, I'll send links to that and we'll just get that out there. Um, Joe, our next episode is The Taking of Pelham 123, the original, not the remake from 1974. That'll be out next week. Very mm. excited about that because that has come up in the last handful of episodes, and I'm very excited to talk about that. Oh, I, yeah. I also want to give a shout out to our patrons, Cassie Wilson, Nick Burris, Alex Ellen, and Justin Kleiman, Brian Rodriguez of High School Ooh. Slumber Party, Wes Hampton, Jerry Robinson, Dan the Duke, Hayden Renato, Donato, Michael McGann, Lane Middleton, Lindsay Lewandowski, Nate Milton of the Kings of Sports, Jason Rainey, Tom Price, Mike Gallier, Josh Buckley of Whole Lot of Wolves, yep. Michael Moser, Christian Larson, Tara New One, Aaron Willows, and Natalie Absolute, Randy Carter, what? And Jessica Collins, a.k.a. Montez. Montez. Thank you all for supporting us at the $5 a month level or above. We will see you next time for Fate of the Furious. And for all things Too Fast, Too Forever, go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash Too Fast, Too Forever, or at Too Fast, Too Forever on just about every site. Email us, family at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page at TooFastTooForever.com and our store at cageclub.me slash shop. And come back next week for the taking of Pelham 123. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe too. And that was Josh Gillarm, Fraser Elliott, and Sarah Feinstein. And we will tell you all about it when we see you again.